This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB, and on the talk radio app. Talk radio. Right now, delighted to be joined by the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps. Good morning to you. Morning, Julia. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed. Well, of course, we know that an awful lot of people are very focused on quarantine rules at the moment. I mean, the vast majority of people not flying at the moment. Uh, but those who have managed to get away, uh, obviously, every single uh, Thursday now looking at the latest announcement on quarantine. Many people expecting that the, the England would follow suit from Scotland and Wales and impose a quarantine on people arriving from Portugal, possibly Greece as well. Why has England gone a different route from Scotland uh, and Wales and not impose a quarantine? on Portugal and and we're given the different decision who's right and who's wrong on that yeah England and Northern Ireland in fact um, haven't changed things at the moment um there's a whole set of figures that are put in front of you uh, by the Joint Biosecurity Centre, which include, of course, the headline that a lot of people are aware of, and we've pointed out before, which is the number of cases per 100,000 of the population over seven days. Um, and But there are other very important things as well, including how many um, tests have turned out to be positive. Because if you only look at the number of cases, uh, what you're in danger of doing is penalising or punishing countries who do the right thing and just carry out a lot of tests in order to find them. So you've got to look at the percentage as well. Uh, and what we found with Portugal, for example, is the percentage has actually fallen this week. And with Greece this week, that actually the overall number has slightly fallen, though I am aware there are concerns from the Greek islands. So uh, we, we looked at the data and our conclusion was a standstill uh, uh, decision. Uh, uh, different, as you say, uh, in Scotland and Wales. So you're saying England and Northern Ireland have, have read the data right and have made the right decision, and Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland and Wales have made the wrong decision then. I mean, if your decision's right, by definition, theirs is wrong. 
it's not quite that straightforward Isn't as it? Might it's, uh, and the reason is this um, they actually have a different set of legislation their own rules if you like uh, under which they deploy and apply uh, these quarantines so for example uh, they will um, have um, a slightly different set of, um, uh, of things that they need to look at to satisfy their domestic legislation and some of that's making a difference for example in Scotland uh, on Wednesday this week uh, my Scottish equivalent called and said uh, we're actually doing this early we're introducing it today and we're removing Greece well I, men I mentioned a moment ago Greece actually now has a lower rate per 100,000 uh, than the United Kingdom. I couldn't do that in uh, in, in um, the UK because uh, our rules are uh, that, uh, you know, it's based on the, the, the science. I can't just ignore what the Joint Biosecurity said to tell us. OK. Um, in terms of people who very <laughs> tragically, they, they booked the holiday to Portugal after it came off the quarantine list, got into the safe travel corridors list, um, and then were told it could possibly, lots of lots of speculation that it could be put back on the quarantine list from early Saturday morning. So spent a fortune, hundreds and hundreds of pounds, getting early flights home so they could get back to work on Monday morning or get their kids back to school. Um, they, of course, flown back, missed part of their holiday, spent hundreds of pounds completely needlessly. Would you at least like to apologise to those people well, who are trying I'm, to do the right thing? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm gutted for them. Obviously, uh, it, it, the, the, the key is you do need to wait to hear what the uh, outcome each uh, each decision cycle is. I'm gutted for them and I have every sympathy because I've been there. I flew to, as you, as you recall, I flew to Spain. Myself put it into quarantine the day that I got there. Uh, and returned myself to quarantine, leaving my family um, there so I could get my quarantine done. Um, so I've got every sympathy um, with people. We did say, actually very specifically, uh, when Portugal came onto the list, please don't go if you're not able to quarantine, because uh, these things can and do change at very short notice and it's just a fact of living with coronavirus okay. that we all have to be aware of that. Well let's, let's talk about how we do live with it because ongoing demands again for us to get more testing particularly at airports get our aviation industry up but it's not just about people getting away on holiday this is about how much you know how many planes can fly in and out of the country the ability to import and export goods uh, simply because we haven't got that uh, amount of, uh, of air traffic. Um, Heathrow Airport have been campaigning on this suddenly all the other airlines as well um, when do you think it is likely we could actually get testing at least at the airports okay you test when people get on the plane when they get off and, and and five days later however many times when do you think that's going to be rolled out so we can get back to being a, an international trading nation once yeah. again that's yes, what we want to do of course i speak to you know for example john holland k who's the boss of heathrow airport very regularly um and i heard that that clip that was played in your news from uh, lord adonis uh, a former transport um, secretary um saying it's simple just test at the airport the sort of message that airports are saying and then people can get on with their lives and i know it sounds completely logical why aren't we doing that the answer is it's not supported by the science if you test people on day zero when they return at the airport bearing in mind this um, virus has a 14-day incubation period um the the sciences, the medical sciences, you probably only pick up 7% of people who might actually be carrying the virus, given that you shouldn't be traveling at all if you're, ace if you're uh, symptomatic. So you're only traveling because you don't think you've got it. Uh, a test at the beginning won't give you the answer that we need. So it's not that we're being bloody minded or we're somehow ignoring these calls. It's because that isn't the solution. What is the solution? Well, probably you'd need to have uh, still some period of quarantine and a test. And we are working with the sector on all of these yeah, But exactly, a five-day quarantine that is, is much more manageable than a 14-day quarantine, isn't that, it? That, that's that, the that, crucial thing. 
that, that that's right and five days takes you up to the top of my head i think it's 85 percent accuracy and eight day takes you up to 95 percent accuracy something like that um so it, it, and then, of course, you're, you've got to also think about your testing capacity. We've worked very, very hard okay. as a country to get these numbers down. And you've seen some stories about pressure on our enormous testing ability now, 330,000 a day. There's still pressure on that. And I can't prioritise returning holidaymakers over uh, care workers of the NHS. So you can see how this is all complex to put together. And it's not that we're ignoring it. And I'm working very hard on this. Uh, and I work with the sector to you know, try to find these solutions. Well, the, the evidence seems to suggest there's plenty of capacity. It's just that people are being sent to the wrong uh, uh, testing centres and actually many testing centres are lying quite idle. Let's talk about something else in your remit, HS2. Today is the point of no return uh, with the formal start of construction uh, of HS2, this uh, high-speed rail line uh, from London to Birmingham, Manchester and Leeds eventually. Um, there were a lot of people who were hoping that when Boris Johnson got elected that HS2 would go out out the window as a big white elephant project that was a waste of money already far over the original budget but also once we hit the pandemic look we've got other priorities right now more people working from home we're told why on earth do we need to splurge over a hundred billion pounds of our hard-earned taxpayers money on getting people between Birmingham and London uh, to, to and from each place 20 minutes quicker when everyone's going to be working from home from now on yeah, well, you, you're right that today is the day where we finally put shovels in the ground and um, and launch the actual build of this project. A very, very long time in coming. And by the way, um, 22,000 new roles that will be recruited, lots of apprenticeships and training and skills that will come as a result of it. Um, uh, but as regards all the rest of it, look, we had these arguments and debates. I, I know I, I've talked to you about it many, many times when I became Secretary of State for Transport. The first thing I did was set up the Okavi review and the Prime Minister and I asked Doug Okavi to look at a sort of starting again from scratch, should we be going ahead with um, HS2 or not? Uh, and I, I entered that pretty neutrally, but actually I have to say it's the right decision to get this thing done after all the years of planning. Uh, apart from anything else, you know, uh, we haven't built new railway lines for 150 years north to south. Um, they've served us very well. They're carrying on serving us. And it just stands to reason that eventually, if you want to connect your country, level up and all the rest of it, you need to put in some more capacity. And well. uh, uh, that is that is the longer term, looking beyond the coronavirus thing, which I know is difficult to do, but that is a longer term thing. I, show, I think it shows a lot of faith in our country's future. OK, well, let's talk about faith in our country's future and our ability to get good trade deals after the end of the transition period with the EU on December the 31st. Uh, it's been mooted that Tony Abbott, the former Prime Minister of Australia, uh, is going to be a, a UK trade envoy, although it does look like the Prime Minister may have gone a bit cold on that after allegations of misogyny and homophobia have been made against him. Uh, just about uh, half an hour ago, we were talking to Peter Credlin. She was his former chief of staff. She says, absolutely not, 100%. Uh, he is not uh, either of those things. Um, his uh, own sister, Tony Abbott's own sister, who is herself gay, uh, and he campaigned against gay marriage, but then attended her her wedding to her her lesbian partner. Um, she says, "Is no question at all. He is not a misogynist, and he's not a homophobe." Um, do you think he is? I, I don't know Tony Abbott, I'm afraid at all. I have seen this um, story. I, I think the main thing to say is. Um, actually, he has not been appointed to anything at all um, at this stage. And uh, I think we should probably wait. Um, I, I, I'm not going to try and pre, uh, better judge his own uh, sister and his own former chief of staff and people who learned. But I think we ought to uh, wait before there's actually an even, in, in a sense, an issue to answer before I wade into Australian uh, 
politics. I mean, obviously, my views are straightforward that, um, you know, misogyny and, uh, and, and, and any uh, form of discrimination is entirely wrong. That's what I believe. Uh, but I don't know Tony Abbott, I'm afraid, at all. No, but do, do you not think that if his own, for instance, you know, former chief of staff and his own uh, uh, sister, who is gay, say that he's not, for instance, homophobic, I mean, that that is worth listening to. We've had all these allegations, these slurs against him. It seems to me he has very conservative views. I probably don't share many of his conservative views, but do you think a lot of the attacks on him actually come down to uh, the idea that actually, well, they don't like the fact this is a man who is a conservative, he's, he's Catholic, uh, he uh, he's he's not a, a, a sort of a, towing the line on, on climate change is the biggest catastrophe of our times. He, he supports Brexit. Doesn't he just offend on every possible opinion when it comes to the Liberal left? And that's why they're having a go at him? Well, look, I just don't know the answer to that. Forgive me, I, don't, I actually don't follow Australian politics quite as closely as I... As a, it's as been I, front page news for the last couple of days in this country. Yeah, I, know, I know, but it's all sort of um, predicated on something which hasn't actually happened. It's been front page news because we hear uh, that he might be appointed to something, although I've seen absolutely no indication or announcement that he is being He's been put forward by one of your colleagues, the International Trade Secretary, Liz Truss. Oh, we know well, that look, has happened. I don't. I don't know that. That that's that's that, that's true or false. I, certainly, these these things usually go to what's called cabinet right round, and I can confirm I haven't had one uh, on the subject. So I think we might be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. And um, you know, uh, Australian uh, politics, which is pretty sort of um, um, uh, how how best des- described. Um, if you watch the House of Commons, there it makes ours look polite. Uh, that's, that's how I describe <laughs> but, it. Um, just finally on this I, issue, do you I, think that I, I, someone I, who is opposed I, to gay marriage, which is is something an awful lot of Tory MPs propose, do you think that someone who's opposed to gay marriage for his religious reasons, because he is a Catholic, do you think that means they cannot be employed as a trade envoy? Well, I, I just I know you're pushing me on this. I just hesitate to stray into a Australian politics, okay. b something which hasn't been uh, announced, and c into and I remember the arguments about. And gay marriage and all the rest of it when the Conservative uh, government under David Cameron uh, brought it forward. I voted happily in, in, in favour and I have no intention to reopen uh, that settled uh, argument as far as the United Kingdom is concerned. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. 
that the government could be on the verge of hiring former Australian Prime Minister Tony Abbott as a trade advisor. But critics say he's homophobic and misogynistic. But is he? Well, if he is, should that stop him from being uh, a trade advisor? What's he got to do with your ability to advise on trade? But, well, let's talk about this with a, a woman who knows Tony Abbott rather well. Peter Credlin was uh, Tony Abbott's chief of staff when he was uh, Prime Minister of Australia 2013 to 2015, now working for Sky News Australia. Delighted to say she joins us live from Australia. Good morning to you, Peter. Well, good evening at my oh, end. Good evening. Good, very good point. <laughs> yes, indeed. Nine hours, nine hours ahead. Um, this row has really got going in the last few days. We actually had a questioning of the health secretary over here, Matt Hancock, uh, yesterday, asking him, maybe yeah. someone asking him point blank, you know, uh, you know, should you hire a homophobe and a misogynist in a role as a as a trade envoy uh, for the United Kingdom? Boris Johnson's Downing Street uh, now seeming to get a bit lukewarm about the prospect of uh, of Tony Abbott uh, joining uh, in, in any sort of role advising the government. Let, let's get back to basics here. Um, you worked for him. You're a woman. Um, is he a misogynist? Absolutely not. And I'm going to push back really hard. He was in Parliament for 25 years. Every single one of his chiefs of staff were women, right? Now, I'm a hardline conservative. People can watch me on TV in Australia. I've been around for a long time in politics. Do you think that someone who hated women would hire me? And do you think someone like me would work for a bloke that hated women? It's just complete and utter rubbish. I mean, the guy's got three sisters, a very strong independent wife, three daughters. He's not a misogynist. And I'll go to that speech that often gets bandied around, uh, you know, Julia Gillard's famous misogynist speech in the parliament when she was PM. That was a speech trying to defend her speaker, and she was in a hung parliament, so she lost the speaker, she was in real trouble, who had made really offensive comments about female genitalia. Now, rather than try and uh, call him out on that and lose her speaker, she went on the attack over Rabbit. And I just think it's rubbish. The claim of homophobia, well, his sister is gay. His sister is gay, and she was so well supported by Abbott inside the family. I know this personally. When she came out in her 40s, she since married a woman. Abbott was at the service at the, at the wedding. They disagree on the issue of the definition of marriage. Well, they did disagree. I mean, Australia has resolved that issue. But, but just because someone might disagree on the definition of marriage doesn't mean that you're a homophobe. And this is about freedom of speech. People can have different views, particularly on issues of religion. And I think this is where we need to focus. Is this a trade appointment? View on someone who can help you post-Brexit get deals done He's your man. Well, this is the interesting thing. His sister, Christine, I mean, they campaigned on opposite sides in that debate over uh, having equality in marriage and allowing gay couples to marry. She said in Mm -hmm. a statement, it is nothing short of dishonesty for politicians who do not know Tony to label him a homophobe and a misogynist for the purposes of scoring cheap political points. As a woman who has always been part of his life and who came out to him as gay in my early 40s, as you mentioned, she says, I know incontrovertibly that Tony is neither of these things. In reality, he's a man of great conviction and intellect, an unabashed conservative, but with great compassion respect for others. Um, this is what I think it comes down to, isn't it? Because the, the misogyny uh, comments appear to come about, as you say, because of criticism from the former Prime Minister Julia Gillard, but also because mm-hmm. of comments he made about housewives and, you know, while you're doing the ironing, knowing that, you know, I've cut your energy costs. It's fascinating that um, an awful lot of the people saying this is misogyny seem to ignore the fact that every single poll seems to show that the majority of ho- um, home chores are done by women in pretty much most countries. Yeah. But, um, but apparently we're supposed to pretend that's not the case. But 
but also, as you say, the homophobia because he campaigned against gay marriage. We know in that um, it was a plebiscite, wasn't it? Well, there was a sort of a vote in uh, people giving their a, a sort of mass opinion poll That's in exactly Australia. Right. Um, and, and he um, pushed for that. And he pushed, and but, he pushed but, for that. But 38% of Australians voted against having equal mar- marriage for gay people. And his argument on this was simply he's a Catholic. He considered at one point becoming, you know, actually going into the priesthood. Um, and, yeah. and, and his views on this are based on his religious convictions, not a hatred of gay people. I disagree Absolutely with his not. views, but, yeah. but does that make him a homophobe? It makes him a politician of conviction. I mean, Julia Gillard, Kevin Rudd, both voted against gay marriage. Malcolm Turnbull was at one stage against gay marriage. Uh, Tony has had that view for a long time. He maintained that view. I think it would have been a very difficult view to have inside his own family. But he and his sister respectfully campaign on opposite sides of the issue. Their relationship's stronger than ever. We should be able to, nowadays more than ever, be able to conduct you know, debates over issues of values and policy with civility. We can disagree with each other as long as we're respectful. And this is exactly what happened. That doesn't make him a homophobe. I mean, there were plenty of gay people in the office who were his closest and most trusted advisors. He has a very good friend who has, was a Malcolm for many, many years, is now a Kate. Tony was one of the first person, people that Kate knew that she came out to as transgender. So this idea that he has some sort of hatred at the core of his being is wrong. He's just a, a pretty principled conservative on a lot of issues. And, and on the trade stuff, you know, we had a trade deal with China that had sat on the desk of other governments and, and bureaucrats for a long time, over a decade. He got that done and South Korea and Japan all in a 12-month period. Now, for Australia, that represents 50% of our expert earnings, 50%, all those deals done. Our wine's up, our beef's up 220%. We would be unimaginable without trade. You're going to leave the curtains and the, you know, the, the apron strings of the EU behind. And Britain, you're going to have to fight against a country like Australia who's been out there fighting on trade deals for a long time. You're going to have to do that now under new circumstances in a really, really competitive post-COVID world. Why wouldn't you want one of the best in your corner? I just think it makes sense. Do you think a lot of the criticism is down to the fact that you say he is a staunch conservative, he is a staunch Catholic, he's, he, he doesn't play along with the, the orthodoxies on climate change, he's a supporter of Brexit. I mean, these are all ter- you know, massive moral offences uh, for many people on the liberal left these days, um, as opposed oh, to yeah, whether or not boats. you can do the job. <laughs> And the boats, don't forget, you know, in Australia, we had 50,000 illegal arrivals under the former government when he was the opposition minister, uh, opposition leader. And he said, you elect me, Australia, and I will stop the boats. And that's precisely what happened. Within a matter of months, we haven't had the boat arrivals that we had under the former government. So there's that, you know, he sacked a a carbon tax. The left went into, you know, absolute frenzy about. Um, This is the problem with modern left debate. You're not allowed to be different or wrong. It, it's a moral component now. You're not just you're not just wrong or they disagree with you. You're actually bad. There's a moral turpitude to all of this. And this is what the, you know. This has been pushed around by Australian left-wing journalists. I might have uh, tell you and your listeners in Britain as much as it is you know, the Nicola Sturgeons of the world and others who are pushing it around. But you know, I think Boris Johnson Downing Street 
um, they should just look at the evidence and make up their own mind. Have you spoken to Tony Abbott about this? And uh, and if so, or, or if you haven't, what, what do you suspect his feelings are about these uh, slurs against him? Uh, I think that they've been around. He, he has copped it. He has a thick skin. He has copped it. He tries to see the good in people and, and he says, you know, if people know me, they know that that's not who I am and look at my record. I mean, he took 25 seats off Labor over two elections. Uh, I think people judge his political ability fairly, fairly, at least in Australia, but he inspires a lot of hate from the left. And I often say to him, that, that's sort of praise in disguise, if I can say that. You know, if you're still riling them up a year after you left Parliament, uh, it tells you you must be standing for something. And just finally, if Boris Johnson does cave, and we know that this is, uh, Tony Abbott's been put forward by our, our International Trade Secretary, Liz Truss, but there's been a little bit of backtracking, it would appear, uh, from Number 10 in the last couple of days with this onslaught of criticism. Front page, a lot of the papers today brought up in Parliament in the last couple of days, criticism, the shadows... Uh, ministers and the like. If Boris Johnson does cave and decides not to appoint him, do you think that Britain will lose out? Do you think that will affect our ability to do big trade deals with countries like China, like Japan, like South Korea? I, I think you need the best people on the field. You need the best team to get you these deals. And I mean what I say. You know, you have been for many, many decades uh, running in behind the EU to do these sorts of deals. You're now going to stand on your own two feet, make Brexit real. I would be wanting sort of the best sort of uh, arrows in my quiver. And particularly when you talk about the Asian region, highly competitive. It's a region that not many Brits know as well as Australia does. And it's changing dramatically, as we've seen in recent months with China. So, I mean, I'm not going to tell Downing Street how to make their decisions or what decisions to make. I just think they should make the, the right decision for Britain, the best decision for a strong post-Brexit United Kingdom. And I reckon my old boss has got the runs on the board to show that he can do it. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Douglas Murray uh, is the best-selling author of The Madness of Crowds and, of course, The Strange Death of Europe as well. Uh, the paperback of The Madness of Crowds are out right now. I'm delighted to say he joins us uh, to talk about Tony Abbott. Good morning to you, Douglas. Good morning. Good morning. Great Good morning. to be with you, uh, Julia. Lovely to be with you. Um, Di- um, Tony Abbott, I mean, this story has really erupted in the last couple of days. He was muted as a, a possible new trade envoy for the UK. Um, uh, we know that Liz Truss, the International Trade Secretary, has put him forward. It was pretty much thought that it was definitely going to happen. Now the BBC, sorry, BBC, the get them confused, uh, number 10, getting a little <laughs> bit uh, cold feet uh, on the issue because of these accusations that he is a misogynist, uh, that he is a homophobe, a denier of climate change, the, the worst heresy, of course. Um, do you think he is any of those things? And do you think, even if he is, that it's remotely relevant to the job advising the British government on trade? You know, Julia, sometimes you feel this is just not a grown-up country anymore. Just a country somehow run by kids and worse. Uh, Tony Abbott is the former Prime Minister of Australia. He's a very distinguished public servant in Australia. And by the way, a great admirer and lover of Britain. And God knows this country needs friends and supporters at this time in our history. Tony Abbott agrees to be put forward for a role that he's very suited for, to to help this country in the trade, the real adult discussions we need to have of trade and how we're going to get jobs 
and much more flowing in this country. And what does the British media do? What does Sky do? What does the BBC do? They play the game of hunt the homophobe. You know, let's find the person who wasn't on board with gay marriage 20 years ago when, Julia, you and I know no one was on board with gay marriage. Including many gay rights activist groups. Stonewall never advocated for gay marriage, the biggest gay group in the UK. But, you know, it's not just that. Then they say, oh, he once said something about women that doesn't quite fit the bill. And he, he's questioned climate change, uh, which, you know, whereas he should have, like all the decent celebrities like Stephen Fry, advocated attacks on buildings and attacks on think tanks yesterday in the name of Extinction Rebellion. He should have been like that, shouldn't he? That's what all decent people do. All decent people ex- support Extinction Rebellion, whose founder was yesterday found to have suggested that MPs should have a bullet put in their head. You know, that's the normal thing you do these days. You don't question things. You don't, you, you don't just be a normal person. You've got, to, you've got to be signed up to this whole schmorzgeboard of extremism. And, and because Tony Abbott hasn't signed up to all of that, they've come for him with every trick they've got. Well, this is it. It seems to me he's, what <laughs> a better description, He's a 62-year-old Australian man and he has the views that one might expect. It's also interesting, of course, that a lot of his views on, on, for instance, like gay marriage, I mean, bearing in mind when they did have that vote uh, in Australia a few years back, at 38% of people voted against it. Now, I'm in favour of, of equal marriage for gay people. I know a lot of gay friends of mine were not in favour of that. And as you say at the time, that was quite a, a, a sort of revolutionary idea. It wasn't, wasn't something that was widely supported. Yeah. There's been a big change in, in views on that. But his views on this are based on the fact he is a devout Catholic. He considered the priesthood yes. at one point. Um, and a number of his views, his conservative, the small C views, are based on his Catholicism. Yeah. I wonder whether his views on that would be acceptable to the, the woke left if he was a Muslim, because it seems to me the Quran not that big on gay rights last time I looked. No, it's not. It's definitely not a big pink document. Uh, and, you know, the thing is that Tony Abbott, as you say, is a Catholic. And that is one of the unforgivable things these days, to be a practicing Christian, because you've got to jump through these hurdles. And by the way, there's a very interesting thing here, isn't there? It's what I call boot on the other footism. When gay rights was advancing, it quite rightly demanded acceptance. And now gay rights is totally accepted. Uh, uh, It's proving to be woefully uh, unaccepting of anything else. And this is a very, very ugly and bad sign. And I can say this myself, perhaps because I'm gay, but I'm bored of this. I'm <laughs> bored of these people. I'm bored of these people who think that British trade policy should primarily be dictated by your views on gay rights of the last well, 20 years. I, I had, not had, grown up. No, I had people on social media saying to me yesterday, but, but how could he help negotiate a trade deal that would be beneficial to gay people and women because of his views, which I found quite bizarre. I mean, yeah. let's, let's he's, look. he's obviously going to do a carve out to make sure <laughs> the gays and the women can't get various bits of like milk. And we'll face yeah. tariffs. We'll face tariffs. But, 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 <laughs> stray white men or something. But what's interesting also, his own sister, Tony Abbott's sister, Christine, who herself a woman and herself gay, uh, they were on opposite sides of the debate on gay marriage, uh, but stayed very, very close. He attended her gay wedding when it became legal, wished her all the best. She says they're very, very close. She says he's not a misogynist, not a homophobe. I've got to be honest with you. I think that's good enough for me. 
Uh, it, look, it's good enough for any sane person and it should never have got there. Tony Abbott should be able to get this position without having to have a gay sister on his side. If he'd been born as a single child, would he still be in trouble? You know, this is the problem of the thing we're getting into here. It's boring. It's wrong. It's juvenile. It's not up to a serious country of the kind that we should be. Tony Abbott is an excellent public servant. He has been for Australia. He, it is extremely kind of him to want to lend his talents to the UK. And the fact that a portion of the UK returns to him and returns that favour with this juvenile, oh, you're not gay enough, you're not female enough, you're not green enough, we've got to grow up. Otherwise, we face the prospect of sailing off into the world completely friendless, and it will be our own fault. Well, let's also talk about um, uh, sailing off into the world. We know, of course, you know, he helped negotiate these deals with China, Japan and South Korea. It'd be great to have his insight and input on that and indeed our deals with Australia and New Zealand, but certainly with China, a big uh, trading nation. Um, but of course, we, we're always told we exercise a lot of soft power in the world through things like the BBC and the World Service and, and, and all of the programmes uh, created uh, radio and television through that. New Director General of the BBC, Tim Davies, gave a big speech in his first week in the job, has talked about about uh, how he wants to cut down programming to, to, by 20%, get back to sort of a bit more of the, you know, the, the, the basics of what the BBC is supposed to provide. He's also said he thinks that uh, stars on the BBC should not be giving their personal views, their political views on social media. What do you make of what he's had to say? Well, look, it's a step in the right direction and we'll see if he has any luck doing it. I would have thought that the stars at the BBC... Uh, uh, like Emily Maitlis and others, who are have been excellent journalists in the past, but who now seem to regard part of their job as directing the public mood via social media. I'd have thought that they will be very hard to rein in after the era they've just been allowed to have. I'm all for a, a BBC that provides quality content and focuses on things that commercial stations might have trouble focusing on, the arts you know, education and, and, and much, much more. And I look at the BBC as it's been in recent years, and I've seen something which basically only competes with commercial stations. And other than that, regards itself as the main pulpit to preach to the nation that it seems not to like all that much. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app 
you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.